good to be back with you this evening and thankful for another opportunity to look at God's word together. Let's go to him in prayer before we open his word. Father, we are grateful for this time of year in which we can reflect on the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came to die for sinners like us. And we are amazed at the incredible gift that you've given to us in your son. We're also thankful for the gift that you've given to us in your word. And we ask that as we now look at it together, that we would come with the reverence and all that your word requires. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When you start a new job, usually one of the first things you want to know is what the expectations are. What am I actually supposed to be doing? If you start a job and after a couple weeks, someone comes to you and they say, you know, you're not really doing what we hoped you would do. And you said, well, no one ever told me what I'm supposed to do. You might be a little frustrated. Now, what about in the church? What's your role in the church? What's your job description? And we're looking at a passage that perhaps gives us the, the clearest answer to what your job description is within the church. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and let's start in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here we see that, that Christ gave gifts to all believers in the church. Notice that again. Grace was given to each one of us. And so if you are saved, you have been gifted by Jesus Christ. And he's given you the gift in his wisdom, according to his plan, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so you have the exact gift that Jesus Christ wants you to have for this church. Do you say, well, I'm not sure that I have the right gift. You're saying, I think maybe Christ made a mistake. You say, well, I would never say Christ made a mistake. I say, then great, don't say he did. Don't say you don't have the right gift. Recognize he has gifted you in exactly the way he wants you. And in verse 11, we find an additional description of some particular gifted individuals that Christ has given to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And we won't take a lot of time with the first two apostles and prophets. I'll simply note that earlier in this epistle, in chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul points out that these were foundational gifts that Christ is building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so these are no longer around today. We think about evangelists, uh, probably the, the clearest example in the, in the scripture is of Philip. Philip goes to a new place in which there's no gospel message and begins to proclaim the gospel. And so in many ways, the, the closest parallel to evangelists in our day would be missionaries those who are going to places in which there is not a gospel and, and trying to, to see people come to Christ and build up churches. Though I think evangelists probably includes as well those who are particularly gifted 
in explaining the gospel. And you might have some people like that in your church. I know in our church, one of our pastors who serves as the pastor of outreach, I believe, is gifted in this area. He's an evangelist. And God has gifted him in his ability to be able to explain the gospel to unbelievers and see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then he mentions as well shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers. And there's some debate as to whether these are two different people or two different groups or whether they're one and the same. And in part because the the language can maybe lead you to one way or the other. And I will say, pastors are certainly teachers. One of the requirements of being a shepherd or a pastor is being able to teach. But I actually think that the language best is understood as two different kinds of groups. You have pastors who are teachers as well, but then you also have people who are particularly gifted in being able to explain Scripture. I think, again, in our context, we have men like that in our seminary, that God is gifted to be teachers. And it's a gift to the church to have these men who are able to explain the teaching of God's Word. And perhaps as you hear these people listed, you think, I thought you said we are going to talk about my role in the church or my job in the church, and I'm not sure I fall into any of those categories. And what we're going to see in the next verse is actually your job. It's every believer's job, but in particular, those who haven't been listed yet. Why did Christ give these people, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ? Say, well, that verse sounds like it's still talking about what they're supposed to be doing. But that's because you might not quite catch what's being said there. I read from the ESV. Uh, If you have an ESV, you'll, you'll notice there actually is no comma from that first phrase to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The NASB's that way as well. That's because I think the best way to understand it is the very first part is what the apostles and pastors and teachers do. And they do it for the second part. They equip the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry. Are those the super great Christians, right? No. Saints is every Christian. A saint is someone who's been set apart by God in salvation, has been made holy through Jesus Christ. And so we have evangelists and pastors and teachers. They're there to equip believers, to equip saints so that saints can do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ would be built up. And so in this passage, we have at least three descriptions of what a believer in the church is called to do. One of them is certainly more implied. The other two, I think, are more explicit. And the first one is implied in the fact that apostles, that evangelists and pastors and teachers are called to equip the saints And one part, then, your job is to get equipped. Now, let's say that we we hear on the news tonight, Michigan and Ohio State have finally, not Ohio State, but Ohio, the state of Ohio, the state of Michigan, have finally decided this is enough is enough, and Michigan declares war on Ohio. And they've decided that Finley is actually a strategic location they want to take out early on. And so we're going to raise a militia here to defend Ohio against the invading Michigan horde. And we say, so tonight at 8 o'clock, we're going to meet here and we're going to give you the equipment you need. We're going to give you your uniform, your weapons. We're going to talk about our strategy. We're going to talk about what we're going to do. Now, if there's a battle coming, are you likely to come to get equipped? 
I would hope so. Hope we would say, oh, I'll just wing it. I'll just kind of see what happens. He said, no, I, I need to make sure I am ready for this. We understand we're in a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And God has given to you as a church, pastors and teachers and evangelists, to equip you so you can be involved in the work of the ministry. So in one sense, you might say, well, why should I be here on a Sunday night? Or why should I stick around on Sunday morning after the morning service to go to a Sunday school class or perhaps come to a midweek service or, or if your church has you know, some type of retreat going on or, or camps that you have, why should I be involved in those kinds of things, small group Bible studies? And the answer is in part, you don't have to, but why wouldn't you? If these are opportunities in which the leadership of the church has decided we want to have this so that we might better teach you and train you and equip you. You'd say, well, why wouldn't I come to these things? Why wouldn't I show up? So that I might have the necessary training and tools that I need so that I can then do my next part of my job. So I could do the work of ministry. So that I could serve. And unfortunately, in the American context, we, we keep falling back onto the idea of the professionalization of ministry. We think ministers are professionals. We pay people to do ministry for us. Just like you might pay your electrician or you might pay someone to keep your yard uh, taken care of. You say, this is someone who knows what they're doing and so we're gonna pay them to do this work. And that way I don't have to worry about it. And so I pay the pastor so the pastor can do the ministry. But that's not how God set things up. You pay the pastor so the pastor can study the scriptures so that he can then come and equip you so that you can go and do the ministry, so that you can serve, so that you can be involved in what you're called to do. And perhaps one of the reasons you don't care that much about coming to the times in which you're equipped is that you're not in the battle and you're not in the fight. But if you're out there serving, if you're out there seeking to, to do the work of ministry, you often will find, you know what, I, I, I could use some more help. So then you're willing to come and continue to get trained and continue to equip so you can go back out and continue to serve. And the goal for all of this is found at the end of verse 12, to build the church, to build up the body of Christ. That as we are equipped and then we use that in service, it enables us to grow, not just as individuals, but as a church. The church itself is growing. We're building up the entire church, the body of Christ. So what's your job? Get equipped, serve, so you can build the church. And what's your goal? When's the job going to be done? And that's found in the next section. Beginning in verse 13, we find what the objective is. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, first of all, the unity of the faith. There's quite a few people in this room. 
My guess is there's even more people in your church. And maybe you've heard this before. People say, you know, if we were to ask people what you think, we get as many different answers as people in this room. So how on earth are we ever going to have the unity of faith? How are we ever going to believe the same things? And the answer is, well, if we're all trying to match our beliefs up with what God has said. That we will become more and more united in our faith when our faith more and more closely matches up with what God's word says. And so we're working on this so that we might have our minds unified around the truth of his word and not our own thoughts, not our own opinions. And then secondly, we have the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Why did you come to church today? Perhaps you say, well, I have a lot of friends here and I enjoy being able to see them and catching up with them. I say, well, I'm glad that you have friends in this church. That's probably not a great reason for you to, to come here each Sunday. Say, well, I come here because I really love the music ministry of our church. I'm thankful for the songs that we sing. I'm thankful for the musicians and their, their skill in putting this together and the choir and the work they put into this. And it's such a blessing to me to be able to enjoy this music. And I'd say, I think that's probably true in this church. But again, probably not the best reason to come here. Say, well, I come because usually there's a good speaker. Usually there's someone who, who is interesting. They make me think, they challenge, and I really am thankful to, to have that. And again, hopefully that's true, but probably not the best reason. Now, why are you here today? Why would you come next Sunday? In a sense, the answer is because this is a place where I come to know Christ more. This is a place in which I get a better understanding of who Christ is, and I get this through the church. You know, it's amazing. Look back at chapter 3 and verse 18. 318. That we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why does he say that we would comprehend with all the saints? Because there's a sense in which we cannot understand God's love without seeing it within the context of the body of Christ. That if we just think about me and Christ, I will not gain the kind of appreciation I can for God's love as I see it worked out within the body of Christ. One example from this for me, I, I don't know what your church does, but the week of Thanksgiving, our church uh, instead of our midweek prayer service, we, we have a time of testimony and thanksgiving and praise to God. And as this year, as I stood there and I heard many of our church talk about ways in which God had demonstrated his faithfulness to them over this last year through very difficult times, I was able to learn more about God's love and faithfulness. And I understand who Christ is better as I gather with his people and interact within the body of Christ. And so why are you here? I hope because you want to know and love God more. You want the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Son of God. And until third, 
we reach mature manhood. There's a lot of things we could probably talk about as we think about maturity. One aspect I want to highlight is I think one of the things that we, we recognize in maturity is the ability to, to take initiative to act for yourself. When, when children are little, you're constantly have to remind them of, of certain things and, and do certain things for them. Hey, you know, did you wash your hands after you used the bathroom? Did you put your plate away? Don't eat your food with your fingers. Um, sometimes you even have to help them eat their food because they're not able to do that. But there comes a point in time in which you kind of expect not to have to say that anymore. That if you were to come over to our house and my wife was having to remind me of these things, you'd think something was wrong with me. Because that's not what mature people act like. Then the church, I think maturity demonstrates itself when we no longer are sitting back and waiting for someone to tell us what to do. To tell us, hey, this is how you need to serve in the church. But we're looking for opportunities and we're stepping up. We're, we're, we're scanning and we're thinking, what needs to be done? Let me step in and do it. We're not children sitting back waiting for someone to come along and say, hey, why don't you do this? We're reaching maturity, which we're taking initiative and looking for ways in which we can serve one another. And ultimately, what we're striving for is Christ-likeness until we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And when will that happen? We lay out our five-year plan, Calvary, Baptist, and Finley, in five years will be just like Christ. Is that going to work? Not in this life. Which the good news means you've got a safe job because your job's never done. You're constantly continuing to work, constantly being equipped, constantly serving, constantly trying to build up the body of Christ. Get closer and closer to becoming like Jesus Christ. And how will you know if this is happening? And that's what the next part of the passage tells us. Beginning in verse 14, it tells us what this looks like. As you are becoming more and more mature, as you are growing in unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, as you are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, what will that look like? Well, first of all, it will look like spiritual stability. Verse 14. So we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In Paul's day and in our day, there are a lot of people who will come around and tell you, this is what you need to do as a church. This is what the church needs to be like. There are some churches out there that every few years are constantly moving in a different direction, chasing the latest fad. And these are deceitful. And these are cunning things because people don't come to you and say, hey, do you want to kill your church? Do this. They come to you and say, hey, do you want to have a successful church? Do you want to have a popular church? Do you want to have a fast-growing church? Follow down this path. Take this step. And immature congregations, immature believers say, all right, let's do it. Because children are easily distracted. If you worked with young children, you know this. They're upset because someone took this toy, and so how do you distract them? Well, hey, here's this thing over here. Oh, I forgot about what I was upset about. Because they're not focused for very long. 
You don't want your church to be like that. You want your church to have stability. To have a sense of this is what we're supposed to be focused on as we're, we're growing together, we're becoming more like Jesus Christ. We, we have a deeper understanding of Scripture. So, so some wind comes along and says, hey, this is what you need to do. And you say, well, no, this takes us away from what God wants us to do. This doesn't match up with who Jesus Christ is. We're growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, and this would take us away from that. This would not focus on Christ in the way that we're called to focus on him. And so there's depth, and there's weight, and there's stability within the congregation. Secondly, there is a commitment to truth and love. Verse 15, instead of constantly being blown about, rather, speaking the truth in love. Now, you might be familiar with this verse, and I think often this verse is used to, to say, there's something I need to tell someone that is true, but it's difficult to say it, and so I want to say it in a loving way. Someone comes to you and says, what do you think of my new hairstyle? And you think, that hairstyle was horrific. I've never seen anything like that. I hope I never have to see anything like that again. But I can't sell that to that person, so I've got to find a nice way to say something. And so I say, boy, that is remarkable, because I could remark in a lot of ways about what that thing is. But that's not really what this verse is saying. The truth here is God's truth. It's not just saying something that happens to be true. It's God's truth. And in fact, speaking isn't really the verb. The verb is actually truthing. We're truthing in love. We certainly would include our speech, but I think also includes our actions and our behaviors. And so we are communicating and living out God's truth together in love and commitment to one another, looking for ways in which the body can be built up. So certainly would include things like sharing with others things that God's been teaching you as you've been reading his word or studying his word. We're talking with one another about how God's been using the sermons in the church to help you to better know Christ and better follow him. Getting together and praying with one another. When you are getting ready to, to maybe have lunch with, with a coworker that doesn't know Christ, and you have someone else in the church who also has a relationship with this person to say, hey, do you mind joining us? So we have an opportunity to talk to this person about the gospel. And we are committed to truth with one another, seeking to point each other to the truth of God's word in love. And as we're doing this, what happens? Every part is working to grow the body in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now perhaps you've noticed with, with young babies, often their head is too big for their body. Now you don't tell that to the parents, but you understand that eventually that child will grow up into its head. In a sense, that's what Paul's talking about here. We have a glorious head. Who is our head? Jesus Christ. And he wants a body that matches up with that head. And so we need to be growing so that this body can match up with its glorious head, Jesus Christ. How will it do that when every part is providing its particular function? Notice that emphasis in verse 16. 
from whom the whole body, everyone, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You probably know that 73% of statistics are made up on the spot. But I've heard often said that in churches, generally 80% of the ministry is done by 20% of the members. And I think there's probably some truth to that. I don't know your church. Maybe you're better than that. But I wonder, are you 100% of the members? Because that's the goal. The goal is every part, every joint, doing what God has gifted and tasked it to do. And within our own bodies, when certain parts don't work, does the body shut down? Not usually. Other parts begin to compensate for it. My wife's a physical therapist, and she's pointed out to me before that that when you have an injury on one part of your body, often if you don't get it taken care of, you end up getting an injury in another part of your body. Why? Because something else is trying to compensate, and it's not meant to work that way. So within the church, if 50% of the people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, can the church function? It can limp along. But you're setting yourself up for even greater problems because those 50% aren't meant to do 100% of the work. Each part is supposed to be invested. Each part is supposed to be doing what it is called to do. And when that happens, the whole body is built up. The whole body is strengthened. The whole body grows up into its head, Jesus Christ. So when believers in the church are fulfilling their jobs, the church will match its head, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for you? First, it means do your job. Get equipped so you can use the gift that Christ has given you to serve his body. So the body will be built up in love. And understand, this doesn't mean I have a title in the church. I am Sunday school teacher or children's church worker or choir member or greeter. Those are all great ways to serve. But you don't need any of those titles to serve in this church. You just need to look for ways in which people need to be encouraged and helped. Look for ways in which Christ has gifted you so that you might minister to others. And it might mean you know someone that their marriage right now, they're struggling. And so you say, hey, why don't you come over to our house? Let's pray together and let's talk through some issues. You say, I, I don't know that I'd be comfortable doing that. And you say, you know what? Why don't you bring your kids over to our house so you can go to talk to someone else who I think might better serve you? Or maybe you know a young mom who's, who's really having difficulty with her children. An older lady in this church and you say, hey, can I come over and, and spend some time with you? She says, well, I don't know. My kitchen's a mess. And you say, I'd be happy to come over and help you clean your kitchen. Or maybe you know someone who's really struggling financially right now. 
The Lord's gifted you in a way that you're able to, to think well about budgets and numbers and those kinds of things. You say, you know what? I'd love to be able to reach out and help you to be able to think about how you might more wisely use the resources that God's given you. It's not a title, not a job. It's looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to minister, looking for ways to build up the body of Christ. And that means as well on the flip side, remember we need people to do that for us too. And so be willing to receive help and service. Be willing to have the person say, I'll come and help you clean your kitchen. And you say, you know what? My pride wishes you weren't doing that, but I'm thankful that you're willing to do it. And so I'm open to having this help. I'm open to realizing I need others in the church to help me, just as I am seeking to help others within the body. Secondly, that you need to work for unity, maturity, and Christ-likeness as a body. That your job isn't simply to think, how have I grown in Christ this last year? That your job is to think, how has Calvary Baptist Church grown in Christ-likeness this last year? So well, I'm not the pastor. It doesn't matter. You're part of this body. You want to see it grow, don't you? So how are you thinking and helping this body to grow? Finally, understand how this all relates to Christ's glory. I would hope that all of you who are here tonight know Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, there's something in you that says, I, man, I really want Jesus Christ to be glorified here in this world. He is glorious. He's majestic. I love this Christmas season because people begin to talk about him and these songs we sing emphasize how great he is. I wish more people understood how glorious Jesus Christ is. You say, well, are they going to see it in your life? Say, well, I hope in some ways, but my life falls so far short of what Jesus is really like. If, if their best understanding of who Jesus is is through my life, it's not going to be a great picture. And certainly you should be trying to grow in that, but it's always going to fall short. Because your life by itself is not meant to help people to understand on this earth exactly who Jesus Christ is. You're not his body. The church is his body. And so how will people best know Jesus Christ and best see his glory in the church. That as others were able to, to demonstrate Christ's gifts that you don't have, to demonstrate his graces and his glories that isn't demonstrated in your life, that people will best see Jesus Christ through a church that is doing what it's been called to do in this passage. And so if you say, there is nothing more I want in this world than for Jesus Christ to be glorified, and there is nothing more important you should be doing in this world than your job within the church, that Jesus Christ would receive glory.
Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for your word so that we might know what it is you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you for Calvary Baptist Church here in Finley. Thank you for the believers you have put here in this body, the gifts you have given them. We pray that they would exercise these gifts in service to others so this body would be built up, so they would obtain a unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This church would not be tossed to and fro, that they would stay committed to the truth of your word, that they would be living out and speaking that truth and love to one another, that each of them be doing their tasks so that this body would be built up and grow into its head, Jesus Christ, that he would receive glory through Calvary Baptist Church. We pray this in his name.